Welcome to Crypto Talks, the podcast that features the early adopters of the blockchain and cryptocurrency world. It's me, Ani Alexander, and I will uncover the stories of the humans behind the crypto and introduce you to new and exciting blockchain projects. Are you ready for the journey down the rabbit hole? Hey, hello everyone and welcome to the Crypto Talks podcast. It's me again, Annie Alexander, and I'm very, very happy to have a guest over where, you know, whose podcast I've, I've been, uh, you know, regularly listening to. So it's really nice to sort of probably for him to be on the other side of the microphone and in the other shoes. So let's welcome our guest today, David Hoffman. Welcome. Hey, how are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me on, Annie. I appreciate it. How does it feel to be in the other role? Oh, I, I actually love being the guest <laughs> on other people's podcasts. It's, it's much more easier for me because being the host means that there's a lot more work involved. Uh, and, and when I'm in the guest, I can kind of just like let my train of consciousness go. Whereas a host, I'm trying to get the, the stream of consciousness out of the guest. And so it's kind of nice being on the other side of things. Okay, yeah, cool. I, I was just telling David before the stream that, uh, you know, I usually just free flow, I don't script much. So it's obviously way less professional than what you guys are doing. So it's going to be slightly different. Um, but I hope you'll enjoy it nevertheless. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Okay. So, um, I mean, as I mentioned already, David um, is the co-host of the Bankless podcast. And, you know, they also have this popular Bankless. I mean, it's, it's just the media. It's it's the podcast. It's the newsletter. It's it's a whole thing that, that grew uh, quite well. Um, so we'll talk about that a bit later. But in the beginning, I guess... Uh, you know, everyone has his own story about how they got into the blockchain space. Um, so what was yours? Uh, yeah, so the I was trying to get into the world of uh, health sciences before I fell down and down the world of crypto. And I was trying to figure out ways to improve people's lives in the easiest possible way that would produce the the most po the biggest possible return on that effort right so i was mm -hmm. focused in on on like mental health i was also focused on like physical therapy and movement and kinesiology and then also nutrition and i thought like these three things uh, nutrition physical movement and mental health are really simple ways to produce a lot of good for the world um, mm -hmm. But like the that industry was very entrenched and very bureaucratic. And I wasn't really into that. I didn't really want to go and do like six more years of school so I could get two more degrees so I could like have yeah. the legitimacy to help people improve their lives in, in, in these different domains. Because if you're going to talk about physical therapy, mental health and nutrition all in the same job it's going to it's a, going to be many years of education and just just to get like the stamp of approval and going through that gamut didn't yeah. really interest me while i was going through that i fell down the crypto rabbit hole in 2017 got pulled in in the same way that many other people do like prices yeah. go up people start chatting about it people's attention turns there uh and uh i got i got captured by the 2017 bull market um, I guess the reason why the, the, the difference between me and the average person that got uh, captured by the 20, 2017 bull market is I stuck around. Um, in mm. 2018, I went to the East Denver uh, crypto conference and actually met people and like felt the energy of the yeah. actual people in the real world and felt like what that was like and actually had conversations with people. Uh, uh, which was like a treat for me at the time where I had just been only talking to people on Reddit and uh, on Twitter and uh, only through yeah. the internet. Right. And so having that, that, um, that wake up that reality about how the, there, you know, there are real people out there with similar aspirations and similar values and similar long-term interests, um, made me realize that, you know, I could go down this, this path of trying to figure out how to carve out a niche in the world of nutrition, mental health, like movement, or do I do this crypto thing? Uh, and the crypto thing didn't have any bureaucracy. It was only a world of builders, a bit permissionless yeah. building, if you will. It's like, so people were just doing this stuff that they wanted to do and no one was telling them that, that they could tell them no. 
And so that interested me in stark contrast of like, you know, six more years of, of, you know, upper education and, and, you know, debt. Uh, instead I could just go start doing stuff in crypto, not really sure what, but I could start doing it. And so I started doing it. Uh, and then in 2018, I kind of started writing just for funsies. Um, mm -hmm. but the, me writing turned into me writing more, which turned into my first pod podcast, which turned into my second podcast, which turns into where we are today with Bankless, which is a podcast, newsletter, YouTube, um, and a bunch of other stuff like community. Uh, and, and that's been my story so far. It's interesting. Uh, when you were talking, telling the story, you didn't mention anything about Lumbos and about money <laughs> and about, you know, the usual thing that mm -hmm. you get people involved in the very beginning. So, uh, and you mentioned 2017, which was like the whole crypto boom and the, mm -hmm. you know, the wild, wild west times where, you know, I, I feel like, you know, you could do more without permission and there was like more freedom in that respect. Um, so many people compare this boom with 2017 one. Um, I'm not so sure it's, it's so identical. There are similarities, but I don't think it's the same thing. Like what's, what's when you compare those times because you've been there and, and now what do you think about this? Yeah. In, in some respects, they're going to be the same because of human psychology like that uh -huh. while, while the conditions around these markets are different like at the end of the day it's just humans looking at numbers and charts and like being emotional creatures and so yeah. to, to at some point like the, and with crypto and highly speculative industries this is just how this works like at some point the 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 bull the bear market of like 2018 2019 and and all the way i guess through most of uh the first half of 2020 people were like bearish but then all of a sudden the bearishness turned to bullishness and all of a sudden we were bullish it's 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 not really anything like substantial or meaningful it just happens and so like to to that degree the market the the boom and bust cycle of 2017 and 2020s or 2021 is going to be largely the same why it's going to be completely different is that 2017 was largely speculating on what is now being reality, but yeah. four years too soon, right? Like a lot of mm -hmm. what we were bullish about in 2017 is coming true. It just is coming true four years later. And it was not coming true at the speed that was sustainable back in 2017. And now when in 2021, we have so many different things, especially in outside of crypto, that are so relevant to our industry, like namely money printer go burr, like that's a big mm -hmm. one. Um, but yeah. also Don, the president of the United States getting deplatformed from a social media uh, company, that's also massive. And we also mm -hmm. have conversations of like how Facebook is, you know, accidentally causing civil wars in countries like this is extremely relevant. Um, and then yeah. we have the Robin Hood and, and, and GameStop debacle. That's a relevant subject matter. And so all of a sudden, like what the speculation in 2017 was leading to is actually coming into fruition finally in crypto in 2021. But simultaneously on this, on the other side of things, we have society moving closer to needing crypto more and more and more to solve much more of its problems. So as 2017 was highly speculative and just four years too soon, 2021 seems to be like, oh, we can actually start to bridge the gaps between what society needs and what crypto can offer. Yeah, I think it's it's very interesting that you mentioned all these situations because probably four years ago, you know, when theoretically you were talking about the possible scenarios and, and blockchain being a solution, many people wouldn't believe that it could potentially happen, right? Yeah. So but now because it's real, you know, it's 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 not a big question anymore. And then it's 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 a very direct correlation to the real events that are happening at the moment, and everyone is kind of being part of it. So it's it's very interesting. I mean, in 2017, I remember there was this big wave of um of crypto influencers. They sort mm -hmm. of emerged with all their YouTube channels and podcasts and back then I had a podcast I mean, Crypto Talks was born back then, but I stopped it because um it was very hard to be in the space and, and to be podcasting without going that route of becoming influencer because mm -hmm. organically lots of projects were coming to you. Um, even if your numbers were not very big, um, they were offering you lots of money to cover their project and everything else related to that. Um, 
your popularity and credibility and reputation came way later and in a completely different positioning. So you're not, you know, from those crypto influencers who were born back then and are still around, some of them. Uh, you're not from the new crypto influencers who are on Twitter, YouTube, etc., who have a same, you know, very similar flavor, let's say. Um, but, uh, but your positioning is completely different. And I think that's what your strength is about. That's what, you know, why Bankless is, you know, so, so strong in, in terms of what you guys do. And, and probably your audiences have a different quality as well. So was this a strategic decision or, you know, how was that path, uh, of, of, right. um, bringing you in terms of becoming such a strong brand in the industry? Yeah. So like, like you said, in 2017, having a good brand was scarce. Um, everyone got corrupted by like the amounts, the insane amounts of money there was yeah. floating around the space, right? Like, and like even the most honest, you know, legitimate individual, there's a price tag on any, on, on everything. And even the most legitimate individuals got bought out. And because the, like the, the amount of money sloshing around was, was too much to ignore. Um, and, you know, obviously left a bad taste in everyone's mouth, especially some of the deepest Ethereum community members, some of the deepest Ethereum builders who like really got turned off about the whole notion yeah. of, of price and value in the first place. Um, and so there was also kind of this like rejection of price, which I actually thought was actually too much in the wrong direction, right? Like in 2017, there was too much talk about price. And then in 2018 and 2019, there wasn't enough conversation about price, specifically, yeah. in my opinion, Ether of the asset, which is the thing that secures this economy. So there's this very much this balance between like talking, talking about price and talking about number go up for good or for bad. Uh, and mm -hmm. striking that balance isn't always easy, but I definitely uh, think that that is something that me and Ryan have definitely tried to to play with on the Bankless show. Because, admittedly, like I came, like I said, I came into 2017 because of like prices were going up. I came in here to make money, and I'm still here to make money. Like this is part yeah. of the crypto industry. It's about it's the crypto industry is about money. It's in the name cryptocurrency, so we can't ignore that. At the end of the day, if an industry is about money, you can expect a lot of clamoring for attention and number go up, right? Um, and so, and and this is something I'm pretty proud about. What we, do, what me and Ryan have built at Bankless is that the audience that we have accrued at Bankless understands that Ryan and I are trying to play that line of, you know, uh, you know, price first and investment first, and and making sure that all the Bankless listeners are informed to make good strategic and in, in, like positions in this space. Like we want mm -hmm. to, we're, we're about education. And so what else are we going to educate about, you know, values and numbers go up at the end of the day though, like Ryan and I have no taste whatsoever for pumping people's bags or pumping tokens. And yeah. ultimately I think that has been a, like we may, maybe in the initial that we could have like, we could have started to like, you know, sell out and start to pump this token and may, and then made a bunch of money, but that's not a long-term yeah. game. That's a short-term game. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to make a, a, a plant a flag and say like, you know, it is possible to talk about the valuations of these assets in this space for legitimate reasons and then accrue legitimacy based off of that. Um, and the, the, the fact that our community who we call the bankless nation has, they've tapped into this. They've tapped into the fact that Ryan and I have no interest in leveraging our community for financial gain, mm -hmm. like how we saw in 2017, but instead we are want to leverage our community for, to promote the things that we see as intrinsically important for both the, the Ethereum ecosystem and the cryptocurrency space as a whole, but also for humanity. Because again, we, you, we, there's that meme, like, you know, I'm in it, I'm in it for the money or I'm in it for the tech. Yeah. I, yeah. Like it's, it's about money and tech and this tech can change the world. And that tech needs to be stewarded into existence. And part of that means that many people are going to be wealthy and there's good and bad ways to make that wealth. Uh, and trying to parse that apart uh, has, I think has been one of the reasons why people have en enjoyed Bankless the most. Yeah, I, I totally get that. And I, I think like, you know, it's a combination of different things. It's the combination, you know, it's the fact that you're keeping the right balance. It's the fact that you're very transparent about advertising and you, mm -hmm. you talk about your sponsors, you know, disclaiming that you've been paid for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's also the, the fact about the quality of your guests and, uh, and the quality of the content itself as well and how much time and research goes into it. So, um, so it's, uh, it's not like a, a lazy media 
that just goes mm-hmm. out there and you know repurposes diff- right. you know things that they've heard from different places. So I think it's 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 just there are many factors to that. Um, and when when you look at what you've built and the philosophy behind it, I mean, you you talk about a world uh, a life without banks. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's touch on that. I mean, that's the ultimate goal that we're all having, you know, financial independence and financial freedom and being uh, completely detached and, and sort of, you know, being uh, having control over our own finances and money. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, because the space has not matured enough as of yet, at the end of the day, even if we are paid in cryptocurrency, even if the cryptocurrency is our preferred sort of, you know, asset or financial uh, means that we are accumulating saving or, or, you know, interacting with um, for daily life, we still need banks, we still need fiat. We At one point, we just interact with that. So um, what do you think that idea and that purpose of, life without banks is it possible like ultimately to get there and if yes like when approximately do you expect that (laughs) yeah um it is 100 possible to live a life without banks and the 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 way that we get that done is by everyone else also living a life without banks right Mm -hmm. so like most people when i go and get dinner with my friends or i'm paying them back for for whatever we use venmo because everyone has venmo uh, mm-hmm. And because no, like not very many people have like the, the access to crypto wallets, whatever. As soon as like the, there's this new shelling point that emerges where like, well, people will ask themselves, well, should I Venmo you or should I pay you via my Argent wallet or like how, or can I pay yeah. you to your Ethereum address? It's just a matter of like, are there enough people out there in the world where we don't actually have to touch an intermediary to get this done? Um, and like the concept of a bank I think can be redefined much more expansively if we want to get really creative here. Um, where like the Starbucks has over a billion and a half dollars in deposits into their like Starbucks credit card, like uh, debit cards, their Starbucks mm-hmm. apps. And yeah. that's like, that's just money that they owe to their customers who will can buy products at Starbucks. Right. So in that way, that's Starbucks as a depository institution, which have credited their depositors, their users with certain amounts of money. And so the conversation of what a bank is can be, be made much more expansively to more or less what else, a, what is an intermediary between one's money. And intermediaries are always inefficient versus systems that don't have intermediaries. If we can make the same results without with less intermediaries, that means that more value is going to be retained by the customers and less value is going to be sucked out by intermediaries. Now, yeah. intermedi- intermediaries and businesses aren't inherently bad, but the nature of the evolution of economics at large is to always become more efficient and always reduce, reduce, reduce on costs and expenditures. And if you can think that if you as a business can replace two intermediaries with your one intermediary, then that is perhaps a good business. And so the the, the promise of future, the, the future promise of Ethereum is that it is the great disintermediator, right? And mm-hmm. so all of the banking yeah. layer, all of the, the financial payments layer can be disintermediated by Ethereum. And eventually this is just going to become to be true because of the natural tendencies of humans to move towards more efficient means of transactions and, and payments and just overall financial activity. Uh, and so not only do I think that it's possible, I think it's, it's inevitable. And you, the, the last part of your question is, um, when will it happen? There was this quote that I'm going to butcher. There was something along the lines of like, uh, uh, progress happens like one grave at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, at the end of the day, we just need the younger people of the world to grow up into being the older people of the world. The people being born today, or even I would say people as, as old as five years old today, perhaps, will never perhaps have a bank account ever because they yeah. will just use crypto because it's better. Uh, and so by the time like this five-year-old, zero to five years, these people are, are 20, they won't have bank accounts. And so I, does that mean 15 years? I think in 15 years, most people won't have, won't really be using their bank accounts. Maybe they'll have one, but they won't really need one. Uh, and then also between like, between my network of people, uh, between me and Ryan, between me and my other, my other Ethereum friends, when we pay each other, we don't use banks. And so it's, it grows, it grows, it starts small and grows outwards, but it, and it also just takes a matter of time. But I would say between, um, depending on like whether you're in the crypto industry, if you're in the crypto industry, 
you are five years away from never touching your bank mm -hmm. again, maybe, maybe just one or two more times a year. Uh, and then the rest of the world, 10 to 15 years. Yeah. Got it. I mean, it's um, it sounds really great. It sounds quite mm -hmm. optimistic. Uh, I mean, I, I know that many people predict the so-called mass adoption uh, in in different terms. Uh, many people were so optimistic that they thought it would have ha happened already. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're not there yet, um, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, you mentioned intermediaries, and and mm -hmm. obviously, like the whole concept of the blockchain is getting rid of intermediaries, and it's all about peer to peer, and and all the beauty that comes with it. Um, what do you think about uh, institutions in the blockchain space who are acting as intermediaries, for example, mm. centralized exchanges, right? I mean, sure. they are doing pretty well and, and probably for the new entrants to the market, they are easier solution at the moment. Um, so um, what do you think, like, are, are they going to disappear as well? Because like mm. the space philosophically is probably not about that. And, and how do you see the future about those uh, institutions? Yeah, so like the, I, I like to model them as service providers, and I really mm -hmm. see them uh, evolving into more like white glove type services because they they're naturally going to always charge higher fees than what these uh, DeFi protocols can can compete with. They they will not be able to compete with the fees of DeFi protocols. Um, granted, Ethereum needs to figure out its gas fee situation, um, but centralized exchanges should always, in in theory, always have higher fees than. Than a, and then a, then a Uniswap or a balancer or or something native to Ethereum, just because like the uh, amount of fees that these companies need to charge in order to to operate will must be must be higher because of their overhead, right? Like Coinbase has a thousand yeah. employees, Uniswap has fifteen. Um, Coinbase has you know legal costs and requirements, and Uniswap is code. Like the, these costs and expenditures are not going to be the same. So like the the forces that DeFi have upon these centralized exchanges, I think will make them have to be really competitive. But at the end of the day, like, you know, some people, especially wealthy people want other stuff, other people to do stuff for them. Uh, and so that's kind of yeah. where I see like service providers or intermediaries really facilitating is, is like, and especially business to business type type things where there needs to be more compliance and more slow moving and due diligence and there needs to be mm. a human on the other side of the line um those that's where i see service providers really in the long term fulfilling that niche uh whereas the the people of the world or maybe you know cameron and gemini maybe they don't trade on gemini or cameron and, and tyler excuse me uh winklevoss the owners of the gemini exchange mm. maybe they don't trade on gemini individually and maybe as individuals when they make a trade maybe they're doing it on uniswap maybe who knows um mm -hmm. and maybe but maybe when they are talking about their business maybe they're using their exchanges to to coordinate business transactions um perhaps that's how it works maybe maybe ethereum is the land of the individuals and centralized uh, companies are the lands of business to business like commerce B2B, that B2B, makes sense to me. yeah yeah mm, exactly. okay got mm -hmm. it uh, i mean why i'm asking is because i have such an impression that many people just, you know, get this wrong impression that if if they have crypto and they are using centralized exchanges, it's, um, you know, they are free from the banks, which, mm -hmm. which is true. But on the other hand, like the functionality that centralized exchanges are, are having at that moment is very similar to what banks are having, right? It's you a know, new you bank. have an account. Yeah, it's a new type of bank. And just because you have, you are using cryptocurrency as the currency of your bank, of your, you know, centralized exchange account, it doesn't really mean that you're bypassing the middleman or, you know, you're, you're just uh, kind of, you know, cutting off the bank. You're just replacing it with a, a probably better version or, you know, a different version of the same thing. I think that there is a misconception there, which is okay if they, they know it uh, and it's fine. Um, and, and as you said, for convenience purposes and for many people also, I think when we talk about um, freedom and, and control over our money, um, not everyone wants it because at the end of the day, some people want to blame someone else if something goes wrong, right? So they, they do want, as you said, they do want a person on the other hand of, of the of the line to call and say, you know, what happened? I, I did a mistake. Can you reverse the transaction? They want mm -hmm. someone to be responsible for things so they can have peace of mind and not really worry too much about it. So I feel there is also this balance and, and, and the needs of the people. Some people just don't are not ready yet to take complete control because with control comes responsibility right 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and especially with getting the older generation into uh, into Ethereum and, and Bitcoin and just digital assets at large, they're, I think they're going to be able to understand the value proposition of the, the crazy world of crypto. But that doesn't mean that they actually want to touch it, right? Like mm-hmm. they, they yeah. just want like my, my parents use uh, Edward Jones to manage their money. And maybe Edward Jones allocates into Bitcoin and, and crypto and, and Ether. And that's really the, the full extent of how they leverage these platforms. It's just as investment vehicles, but not actually as tra- uh, financial vehicles. Um, the the po- whole point about crypto and like the, the why Ethereum is like Turing complete, as in like software enabled, is it can do anything. And so it will be able to express whatever people want it to express. And so if people want maximum decentralization, it can provide that to you. If people want an app that is centralized in the back end, but then deploys on Ethereum, that can also work. Uh, it's really the, the whatever people want can be expressed on Ethereum. Yeah, makes sense. Um, I mean, since we touched Ethereum, I, I think I mentioned this on, on one of our Clubhouse conversations. When I spoke with uh, Dima Buterin, um, Vitalik's father, he was talking about the fact that he's really proud um, that when Vitalik wrote his um, his uh, report on, on Ethereum results, um, he mentioned something uh, about the fact that every project has to have a soul. Um, so I, I know that, you know, it may sound a bit strange because we're in a field which is a very tech field and kind of technology is seems to be the hero of the whole story, which is another question, and I don't think it's cr- it's the right approach, but anyway, that's how the narrative goes at the moment. Um, but but again, like, how do you define that? Like, how do you mm-hmm. when when you see different projects, uh, how do you actually feel whether the project has a soul or not? Uh, uh, mm-hmm. How do you define that? Yeah, um, one one thing that Vitalik was talking about when he wrote that was um, about how projects that don't have a soul won't be able to be as competitive as projects that do have a soul. And yeah. I think we can all we can all relate to this when like we're all going out and maybe maybe we're applying for jobs and there's one job that's really cool that's really aligned with what we want to do and we just think is neat and we want that job and we're ready to take a pay cut for that job in comparison to perhaps yeah. a much higher paying job that is in a corporate 9 to 5 cubicle soul sucking, right? Like there are certain endeavors in life that people want to do. Like humans have emotions and these emotions resonate with what we want. And what we want is reflection of our personal values and what we see as valuable in our culture and what we value ultimately is expressed in our culture. Mm-hmm. And so when, when this one company or one project or just body of work uh, is able to pay people f- Fifty percent as much as as a different gargantuan monopoly company, and yet get twice as much work out of those people. It's because that project has a soul, because people want to work for it, right? Uh, and and we can go and take this all the way back to the early the, the concept of both like religion and nation mm-hmm. states and. Like people create religions and then they espouse those religions because they believe in them. And the Mm -hmm. same thing with like the early days of like the American Revolution. Uh, The 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 British forces who were trying to uh, to just control America were had them had Americans outgunned, you know, out out outfunded, out outmanned. But it didn't matter because Americans were fighting for something that they believed in. And so they were fighting harder for something because they cared about it. And so they they fought to the tooth and nail and the British soldiers and, and ultimately ended up having to surrender because they just weren't interested in fighting as hard for it because they didn't care as much. They were mercenaries where the other ones, where other people were zealots. Uh, and so, and this is where like the, the, the amount of, think of how many Bitcoin podcasts there are. There are like 20 like at really good, high quality Bitcoin podcasts, mm-hmm. putting out free marketing about Bitcoin that Bitcoin doesn't have to pay for. People just do it because they want to do it. And because because other people want to consume it, these podcasters, these Bitcoin podcasters can, can generate income because they're producing content about something they believe in. And then the people are consuming that content about something Mm. that they believe in. And all of a sudden we have this economy that's arisen around Bitcoin. And the reason why it's there is because Bitcoin has a soul. And this is the same thing about Ethereum. 
Uh, Ethereum is the uh, a platform for allowing the expression of human values and interests. And there's so much free labor that people put into Ethereum because they want that thing yeah. expressed. Uh, and so this is where the soul comes from. Like people injecting their, their the, when they wake up in the morning and they go to work and they start to produce something for Ethereum, that's them giving their life forces to Ethereum because it's something that they believe in. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think it's, um, yeah, uh, I think that also uh, refers to all the projects who have a philosophy behind them, who have a story behind them, who have their, you know, big why of why they are doing a certain thing and why they are building that. Um, because uh, those who don't have that story and they don't really have that core why that that everyone is on the same page on, um, it's very difficult to to sort of convince others as well if, if you yourself are not convinced. So it's, it's, it's definitely there is a phenomenon in it. Um, you mentioned a few things. I mean, you mentioned Bitcoin before that we were talking about Ethereum. And then you also mentioned five. So I wrote uh, an article uh, for Hackerdon yesterday about the, the fact that, unfortunately, it feels like we're still in the crypto space, we're still siloed and we still fight with each other about which blockchain is the best one. And, and then just, you know, we spend so much time and energy uh, defending our favorite blockchain than, you know, being happy about something bad happening to the other blockchain and then, you know, the whole kind of drama behind it. Um, and that that kind of, you know, leads to the fact that we don't have enough collaboration, co-creation between the groups of people who are, you know, sticking around a certain blockchain and don't want to even listen about the others. And that doesn't really look very well for newcomers because they come in and they don't see any unified opinion about stuff. So how do you feel about this whole environment? I mean, it's 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 not a new thing. It's I mean, it, it's been like this even in 2017. And, you know, uh, we always had these tribes and groups and uh, all the people in it are, as you said, uh, they're very passionate. They're all about, you know, whatever they believe in. So things get heated very fast. Um, what's your opinion about this whole environment in general? Yeah, it's been one of the most like funny things to watch about about the crypto space. And, and yet I find myself doing it just like everyone else does it. And I actually don't think it's something that you can really remove yourself from. I, I don't believe it's actually completely possible to be completely agnostic about which crypto economic system are, are or crypto economic systems are the ones that work because you know kind of like like how i was saying earlier not all projects are the same like not all crypto economic systems have the same merits uh you know b b back in 2017 eos had this like 21 uh, validating set of validators that controlled the eos blockchain that's not the same thing as Ethereum's version of decentralized proof of stake is not the same thing as Bitcoin, Bitcoin miners. That's a cartel of 21 people. And so there mm -hmm. is a lot of uh, at stake with what crypto economic system comes into existence, because what one like, quote unquote, wins out can determine mm -hmm. the future livelihoods of, of generations and generations and generations of people that come to be lived and come to operate under the design constraints of these systems. Um, also, the reason why this this space is so tribal is because there's so much money at stake, right? If like one crypto economic system survives in lieu of others, well, that means that uh, like a, a one cohort of people, their bags didn't do so well, and the other cohort of people, their bags did really well. So there, there's just money at stake. So like the amount of energy thrown into this this contest of just like infighting, there's a lot there's a lot at stake. So there's a lot of a lot of energy. Now, the reason why I don't actually I'm okay with this is because of the concept of monetary maximalism. And this actually got pioneered by Bitcoiners and Bitcoiners figured this out really first before anyone else uh, is that it's kind of the belief that there can only be one money of the world. Uh, and mm -hmm. I, I, earlier in the podcast, I talked about how like uh, crypto economic systems are like kind of evolutions of religions and nation states. Really, there's only so much energy in the world that these things can really capture. And mm -hmm. while these things do grow the pie, when one pie grows faster than other pies, that means the other pies aren't going to grow as fast. Uh, and so yeah. like, while they are net generative, they are still competitive with resources. Uh, and so the, and the concept of uh, that Bitcoiners pioneer with this monetary maximalism thing is that 
these are, these are crypto economic systems in the same way that like nation states have to invest in their future and you know protect uh, protect themselves with their military and yeah. try to optimize their own economy because if they don't then their economy will be weak and their defensive forces will be weak and they might be taken over by a competitor right if you if you don't have strong enough defenses you might be taken over uh, and so that's why the security of these systems becomes really, really important because if the uh, the security behind Bitcoin or the security behind Ethereum or, or any other blockchain isn't sufficient, then they can be attacked. Therefore, you need to maximize security. And if you need to maximize security, you need to maximize the, the value of your money. And it's really just the, the what money is, is the most secure monetary system that humans have ever come up with, right? Uh, you know, the nation, the USA is the most powerful nation and we have the most powerful currency. That is not a coincidence. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and so like Bitcoiners really believe that it's really the most powerful crypto economic network that's going to have the most valuable upside in the asset. Uh, and, and I kind of think that's true. Uh, I just think it's true about Ethereum personally. And that's why I'm in the Ethereum tribe. Uh, because I think Ethereum will have the most, the strongest security uh -huh. and therefore the strongest asset. Uh, and that will come at a loss of all other crypto economic systems. Uh, so like, call me an ETH, like people will say like, oh, I'm an ETH maxi. And like, I get, if that's what your definition is, I just believe in that future version <laughs> of the world. Uh, and so that's where I've positioned myself. And so that I guess puts me in the Ethereum tribe. Um, However, I'm still open to the concept of a, a, pol a, a poly blockchain world. It's just that it's all going to collapse on Ethereum. It's all going to be uh, settled on Ethereum at the end of the day. Okay, got it. Yeah, interesting. Um, so uh, I, I guess, I mean, since we're touching the crypto culture and, you know, I, I just, you know, while you were talking about this, I, I just recalled Twitter, crypto Twitter, and then the memes and, you know, everything else that comes with it. Um, so, so we're kind of segueing a little bit into this NFT space, which is the, the big, you know, hot topic in, in the space in general. And, uh, and I've heard many different opinions starting from that it's a bubble and it's crazy. And, you know, why pay 2.9 million for a tweet? Like it doesn't really make sense. Or, you know, that the, the crypto art is uh, ugly and it's not even an art, uh, up to the point that this is the future and you don't really get it. But it's like, you know, this, you have to get into it now while it's still, you know, new. Etc. Etc. So th there have been many different extreme opinions about this. Um, what do you think about the NFT space? Yeah, it's, it's got to be somewhere in between those those two ends of the spectrums. Um, the NFT revolution is a real revolution. Uh, it will actually change the way humans choose to create and and labor and transact with each other. Um, however, it could be in its 2017 bubble. Um, and so like, while I do believe that NFTs, uh, NFTs are in their like 2017 ICO phase, uh, the difference, the reason why ICOs died out and then got replaced by DeFi is because, or, or DeFi tokens is because DeFi tokens innovated. I do mm -hmm. think that NFTs are going to go through this innovation phase. It's going to go through this period of, you know, let's, what just happened here? Let's pause and reflect what worked, what didn't work, what's real, what's not real. Where did we trip up? Where did we have our successes? And let's maximize those, let's ma maximize our wins and figure out how to make this thing more real. I don't think that's going to take um, for the four years that it took ICOs to mutate mm -hmm. into DeFi tokens. I think it's going to happen much faster. Innovation is only happening at a faster and faster rate. Uh, and it's easier. And, and, and NFTs were the first real thing out of Ethereum that got stuck into the mainstream consciousness in the first place. Uh, and so, you know, uh, the Justin Blau, the artist known as Blau, uh, he, he, we did a, a show with him on the Bankless podcast where he talked about how Spotify is a great distribution platform, but he has no mm -hmm. idea who his listeners are. Yet when yeah. he minted an NFT, he got a list of 60 Ethereum addresses that collectively paid him $12 million. And now he talks to those people. And that's not mm -hmm. something that Ethereum or Spotify was ever able to do. He actually knows yeah. who these people are now. The people that the people that the artist that paid the artist $12 million, the artist now has a direct line of communication towards, thanks to the NFTs. And so we are actually facilitating artistic innovation at a faster and faster rate and also artistic reward. Uh, that's that's a paradigm shifting. That's brand new. 
Um, that yeah. is cataclysmic. Um, is that going to be democratized and accessible to everyone? Yes. In two to four years, five years, not, not, it's not where it is today. It's not going to be next year. It's going to take time. Um, but it is a real revolution. It's just going to take time to really figure out the kinks and make these tools more accessible. Um, scale is also very important because like, you know, it's one thing yeah. if, uh, if, you know, Beeple sells a $69 million NFT and he can pay $200 to mint it, but you know, $200 to mint a, an experimental piece of artwork is out of the typical budget of the typical artists. And so, you know, things need to be fleshed out, but like the revolution is real. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I really love the idea that it's, uh, you know, uh, it, it brings probably NFTs are, are the only, um, part of the blockchain, uh, related activities that actually bring, uh, non crypto people in and attract mm -hmm. those. And my theory is because, I mean, for me, it's a really good stat is a case study for, for marketing a blockchain uh, kind of, you know, idea is because they, they don't, they rarely talk about the technology itself. They rarely talk about the blockchain. They talk yeah, about they all these other, you know, emotions and stories and everything else that comes with it. And people understand that people understand art, people understand music, people understand the concepts behind it. So it's, you know, and, and they resonate with it. So they, they navigate towards it. So. I feel like, you know, if we can probably in other domains do something similar, then, you know, it will be more attractive and we will be talking the same language with the masses and they will be more uh, inclined to check it out, right? I mean, the other hot topic with NFTs, uh, you already mentioned it, is the DeFi space. Mm -hmm. um, do you think DeFi is uh, getting to a stage where, um, I mean, in the very beginning, it was very specific and not even like regular crypto people were, were actually getting it or using it because it was very specific and very complex and not user-friendly. Um, where are we at DeFi at the moment? How do you feel about it? Like, is it getting more user-friendly? Mm. Is it easier to use, easier to understand because a little bit of time has passed? Yeah, I, I, obviously, I'm as bullish about DeFi as as the next person. Um, however, there for the average individual, there are too many like protocol hacks. There are too much. There's too much difficulty with getting your bank account money into DeFi. Uh, that's a problem. And then the Ethereum is just simply not usable, right? And so some some of these things just needs to get fleshed out. Like we need to just have more hard hardened protocols. Um, and then also EIP-1559, I, I think people keep on missing the this very core part about EIP-1559, which is to, it just eliminates the whole concept of gas for the end user. And so with once EIP-1559 is, is here, there is like the submit transaction button and not the what is your gas fee button. And that is a huge UX adoption for the average individual. That Gas makes no sense. And yeah. so the eliminating of that uh, is going to be extremely beneficial towards just like making this whole thing more usable. Uh, and then, and then the other thing that it takes is is rollup adoption because uh, rollups and things like optimistic rollups, DK rollups, that's how we get Ethereum to uh, to match things like Coinbase or Robinhood in levels of performance. Uh, and and so and optimism is going to probably going to roll out in April, and and then Uniswap is going to be on top of op optimism. And with that, we'll be able to match a Robinhood level of performance, um, but with DeFi. The other uh, the other issue is that well, great, we have Robinhood level of performance with DeFi, but we don't have all the assets that people are familiar with on Robinhood, and that's an even harder problem to tackle. Uh, and so like DeFi has this massive uphill battle that it has to find to really break its way into the into into the mainstream and but like i was saying in the in the same way that crypto is moving closer and closer to being more facilitative of what the what the, the people of the world want the people of the world are also looking for alternative ways to uh invest uh and so yes. like all, all of a sudden like the s p is not all that interesting anymore and all of a sudden crypto assets are interesting and so it's going to take this stitching together where like, you know, we need uh, crypto to behave like legacy, um, legacy products. And then we need people from the legacy world to move into crypto and be more okay with crypto assets. Um, 
that's just going to take time. I don't think there's ever going to be like a, a breaking moment like we've recently had with NFTs. Uh, but mm -hmm. every, every single month, a, a very important piece of the puzzle gets laid down, it seems. Uh, and, and so like, it's just, a, it's just a waiting game at this point. Um, and, and the reason why I think that there's, there's this speculative mania ahead of us in 2021 and 2022 is there's going to be some people who have a lot of capital who are going to try and front run that. Uh, and so mm -hmm. that's going to, that's going to turn this into a whole speculative bust again. Um, but yeah. uh, I don't, I don't think any, like people who are like super bullish on Ethereum and, and crypto and then trying to get all their friends to get into this, like now, now, now it's like, well, your friends probably aren't going to care. Probably not for like another year or so. Well, because like first we need to get optimism rolled out, uh, and all these other scaling solutions. And then we need people to build on those things with their app, with the actual iOS apps to make them usable. Uh, and so like, this is a, an iterative, iterative developmental cycle that, you know, we just need more time. Yeah. I mean, I, I would, I'm just itching because I, I really have to make a shameless plug in here because, um, mm. I work at Plasma Finance and most mm. of the things that you, you mentioned as, as a problem we have already solved, um, mm. and, and, and we're working on the rest. So, you know, fiat on ramp and off ramp directly to the D5, yeah, um, yeah. that's already yeah. there. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, I mean, we're, we're also working on the gas solutions and everything else. And we also have professional tools for, um, that are tailored for professional traders and institutionals, um, uh, like limit orders and everything else that they mm. are used to, to, to reduce the risk. So, um, so yeah, just uh, just to say mm -hmm. that there are projects that are working on it, and there are solutions that are already there. And and yes, the UX. Uh, uh, I mean, the the way we we tried to build it was basically to get the effect of uh, ease of use of Coinbase, but with with right. all the advanced tools of the DeFi. And mm -hmm. uh, and yes, I mean, there is a, a long way to go, but um, but yeah. Where it's, it's it's a very important thing uh, that you mentioned. Ease of use is something that is very important. And uh, I personally was very scared of the whole DeFi thing because I thought I would always make something, you know, a big mistake. I will push something wrong, etc. And uh, I think we're getting to an extent where even I'm pretty comfortable using those <laughs> plat that platform, which is a, a very big plus. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I think we, we, we covered a little bit of everything. Um, what I would like you to sort of, you know, as a wrap up and a summary, um, I mean, we already kind of covered a little bit about the future and, you know, how things are going to develop. Um, your personal interests, like, mm. you know, uh, that there are so many different directions in, in the blockchain space, so many different sort of types of projects that are out there in the moment. Um, what type of projects you personally are interested in? Like, which ones fire you up? Which ones kind of, you know, have mm. the type of soul that you're, you're willing to, to give your time and effort and, and skill set to? Yeah. Um, there, there, there. I'm hoping that there is a new wave of projects that um, specifically. How do I want to? How do I want to take this? the The whole promise about Ethereum and crypto is is disintermediation, right? And mm -hmm. between technology and money, those two things are the things that intermediate almost everything about our lives. Uh, and so like when you use the US dollar, you're actually using the Federal Reserve as your intermediary because that's the thing that controls the value of the US dollar. When you're using Venmo, uh, Robinhood, your brokerage, Facebook, Twitter, et cetera, any, any sort of technology, those are the mediating platforms that mediate between uh, your relationship with like for, for me and my Twitter followers, or if I'm on Instagram, me and my, my, my friends, which is where me and my friends choose to communicate that that's the thing that intermediates our lives. Now, granted Twitter and Instagram created those social relationships. And so they were net generative of new social relationships, yet they intermediate them. Uh, and so they're, they're, they did something cool and now they're kind of doing something bad, which is controlling mm. how our, how our, um, our relationships are with our fellow humans, right? And like what, what's even worse about Facebook specifically is like if you want to, if you have a Facebook page, you have like 10,000 followers on your Facebook page, you can't post something to your Facebook page and get your 10,000 followers to look at yeah. it. You have to pay them. You have to pay the money to get that done. 
that's bad. That's intermediation. And and when I was uh, writing about this uh, this concept in the my article, Digital Cultural Revolution, going back to like money and technology, money and technology are the two things that intermediate our lives the most. And therefore, those are the things that control our re- emotional relationships with other people the most. Uh, and so, you know, the, while there's all of these DeFi projects like Uniswap, Balancer, AMMs, you know, money markets, borrowing and lending, like permissionless collateral, self-sovereign financial tools that are just groundbreakingly awesome. Those are really awesome financial tools. I'm looking towards things that in, uh, in addition to DeFi that are perhaps more in the Web3 camp that uh, disintermediate people's emotional relationships between each other. Like artists mm. and creators, you know, transactors, communication of value on the internet. Um, what ha- what does it mean if we can change a Reddit upvote to a small penny of, of, of value or something like that? Where you know maybe maybe you put in an extra couple of minutes of time into that Reddit comment and somebody really appreciated that. How can we reward that and help facilitate that emotional relationship on the internet? Um, mm. That sector of projects is what I'm hoping really takes forward uh, into 2021. Which is very hard because it feels like there were different tries and none of it really actually right. worked very well. Mm-hmm. Like Steemit was very similar to what you're saying. And mm-hmm. and in the beginning, it, 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 it worked pretty well. Uh, but then at some point, I mean, something went wrong and, and it just, right. you know, uh, disappeared. Uh, like from from the form it was before so so yeah i mean i i totally like that approach uh me too i'm i'm you know i'm i'm more interested in the human side of the technology story because i think that at the end of the day the technology and the beauty of it is because it's there in order to um to bring positive change to people's lives um, you know, whether it's the financial part of our life, whether it's the, you know, the the artistic and creative part of our life or, you know, uh, monetizing our audiences or whatever it is, it's a different ways of, of making positive change to the life. And, uh, and otherwise, it's just, you know, it doesn't really have any meaning behind it. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of, you know, at one point it becomes useless. Um, so, yeah, I mean... Thank you very much for your time and the conversation. I really enjoyed it. Um, I mean, it was a free flow, but I think we kind of, mm. we managed to cover pretty wide range of um, different aspects in the field. Um, so it was really nice talking to you. Thank you very much. I also enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me on, Ani. This was the Crypto Talks podcast brought to you by Ani Alexander. If you enjoyed the podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review. Thank you for listening and we'll meet you in the next episode.